Thanks for listening to the River City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church community and how you can be a part, visit us online at therivercitychurch.org. Where's all my 90s kids out there, right? All the 90s kids. Uh, R.E.M. growing up was one of my favorite bands. The Green Album was one of my favorite. But uh, Michael Stipe from R.E.M. Uh, says this, sign, this line, everybody hurts sometimes. So it's time to sing along, right? So if you're hurting, if you're going through pain, you're not alone. Everybody hurts. Everybody goes through pain at some time. So I want to ask you this morning, so are you hurting? And, and if you are hurting, most likely it is a person that hurt you. So who is that that hurt you? Who is it that, uh, that broke your heart? Who is it that, that, that person that caused pain, that person that lied about you or lied to you, that person that mistreated you or took advantage of you, that person that you trusted, maybe a person of authority, and it, they just turned it. And... You know, you were broken by it. You know, it's like, because it, a lot of people in here today have been hurt. So who betrayed you? Was it a friend? Was it a friend that you, you thought had your back and in the end they, they didn't? Is it a bully at school? Is it a boyfriend that lied to you and then lied about you? It could have been a boss. It could have been a, a business partner. Could have been your own father, that no matter how hard you tried, he never made you feel like you were good enough or significant. Maybe it's a spouse that you trusted, and you believed in, and they betrayed that trust and, and they broke your heart in the process of it. Or even, even possibly it is an authority figure in your life, someone that should have been trusted, someone that, that you should have had trust in. Instead, they took that trust and they twisted it and they turned it and they touched you in inappropriate ways and in their sick, twisted way, they made it feel like it was your fault. Could have been a church. Could have been a pastor. Could have been a church leader, a deacon. Could have been, who, who is it that betrayed you? Who is it that hurt you? So today is a heavy one for a lot of people here today of this message of to, that, that line right there, to love like nobody, like you've never been hurt is a really heavy subject because some of us, the, the hurt is so fresh, it's so there on top of the surface, it's like a fresh wound. Others, it's, it's, you've you, you buried it down, it's so deep down that maybe you don't acknowledge it as much, you don't think it's there, and then somebody rubs up against you, somebody says something, maybe this holiday season coming, you, 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 you'll, you'll rub up to a family member and you'll be like, something will come out, and you're like, what was that, and where did that come from? Because possibly you've never really dealt with the hurt and the pain, and you've just kind of buried it. And so even though today is not going to be an easy message for some people, and I've been prayerful, and others have been prayerful about this morning because it's not going to be an easy topic to jump into, I do believe in all of my heart that I believe on the other side of difficult, we often find what is best. Amen. Right? On the other side of difficult, on the other side of doing that difficult thing, we often find what is best to get to this place of to love like you've never been hurt. And that is supernatural. That is not human to love someone like you've never been hurt. So let's just open up in prayer one more time. 
Lord Jesus, your presence has been here, Lord. And we thank you, God, that you are here in our midst, Lord Jesus, that you are here, Lord. And I know that there are some here that have been hurt deeply. Uh, Maybe it's something current they're going through. Others, it's something in the past. And now, Lord, we just ask, Lord, beyond my words, that your Holy Spirit would convey what you want to each and every individual heart and each and every situation. God, we thank you. For in advance for what you're going to do. And Lord, I ask that you would increase our faith this morning to allow you into these areas of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this, this phrase, uh, love like you've never been hurt, is not an original with me. It's actually uh, a pastor from Georgia. Um, Jensen Franklin uh, wrote a book about this and his journey, and I encourage you, if this subject is something that uh, you feel like you, you still need to dive some more into, it's a great reference, great, great book to go to. Um, and so, and even that line did not originate with him. It, it comes from a very obscure place that you would not expect of this line of to love like you've never been heard. It's most likely from someone that most of us had not heard of. And um, it's from this, possibly what we're known as, his guy named Satchel Page, who is known to be the probably best major league pitcher that you've never seen or heard of. See, so for for Satchel Paige, he was not signed to the major leagues until 42 years old when he was signed to the Cleveland Indians. Because years before that, for 20 years, he had played at what that time was called the Negro Leagues. And up until that point, he finally was signed to the American, uh, American League to play professional baseball. When he finally made it, he was the first black man to be standing on a pitching mound. And he was criticized, and he was yelled at, he was, all kind of racial slurs were said to him, uh, even though he was an amazing athlete, and, and a lot of us as the major leagues did not see him in his prime, because he was not there until 42. So some of his best years were not caught. But his story is, is pretty amazing. When they're, they're, he's a pretty amazing uh, pitcher in many ways, and man, just some of the, the hatred that he went through, and being that first time African-American pitcher on the mound there, uh, that this one team that they were up against, you know, they, they lined up their best batters right in a row. So like, typically, like you, you have your, a good batter, one, two, three, and then you put some other ones, get them on base, and then you get the third guy to, to get everybody home, right? So, but they did all four of their best batters on the team right up to intimidate him at the beginning of the game. And so he knew what, he saw the lineup, and so what he does is he tells his outfield to come in and go sit in the dugout, and he tells his basemen to sit down on their bases. And he continued to pitch and struck out all four of those professional batters right in a row, right? Pretty amazing of what he did. And so he, he went through all kinds of things. He had some famous pitches. One of them were called the B-ball. Another was called the, dot, the bat dodger. One was called the long tom. His most famous pitch was called the hesitation pitch, where he would kind of do, do this extract, uh, really awkward phase, and he would kind of freeze in the midst of it and kind of throw the batter off because of his weird <laughs> stance that he would do, and he struck out many with that. He, 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 and he actually continued. He pitched three innings when he was 60 years old for Kansas City. 
right? I mean, this guy was known for his crazy pictures, his crazy outgoing personality, and for some phrases that he said. One of them, one of his phrases was, if you want to be a good pitcher, keep the bat away from the fat part of the bat. Keep the ball away from the fat part of the bat, right? That's a pretty good, okay, keep the ball away from the fat part. You'll, you'll be a good pitcher. He's also credited for saying, work like you don't need money, dance like nobody is watching. We've all heard that one, right? And then he was one day after being ridiculed in such hard way and, and, and crowds yelling at him and throwing things and they, they asked him, how does that make you feel? And he says, you gotta love like you've never been hurt. The fact is, yeah, he got hurt in some pretty deep ways. But the fact is, every single one of us have been or will be hurt. You will go through rejection if you have not already gone there. You will be let down from someone. You will be talked about. There will be conflict with someone in your life that you probably love dearly. Chances are you will get stabbed in the back from someone that you love. And right away, as I even say that, people's, people's faces are coming to your mind right now. I wasn't planning on this, but on your, those notes that you got when you came in, what if you just write that name down? That way, sometimes you, I got to write something down to get it off my mind, right? So just write that person's name down that comes to your mind right away of someone that hurts you. Because we've all have been hurt by someone. Mark Twain even says this. He says, if you find a dog on the side of the road, it's hurt, starving, that's mangy and dirty, that's dying, and you feed that dog, take that dog home, you groom it, you nurture, nurture it back to health, that dog will never bite you. And he says, he goes on and says, therein lies the major difference between humans and dogs. It's quite often the people that we love the most do bite us, do hurt us. So I told you about a baseball player, I told you about Mark Twain. Now let's go to the words of Jesus, what he has to say about those that have been hurt. He's talking with his disciples, helping them understand what, that, what happens when they get hurt, when they get betrayed, when they get disappointed by someone close to them. And he says this to his disciples in Luke 17. He says this, Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. There again, Jesus is, Jesus is saying what I've already said. It, it, he doesn't say, it's possible that sometimes you'll be hurt. He doesn't say, hey, there's some people out there, some of you disciples, some of you people that read, my, read the Bible later on, some of you will, might experience hurt and pain. He says, what does he say? He says, it's bound to come. It's bound to come. It is, it is going to happen. You're going to have conflict. Someone that you love is going to hurt you. It's not a possibility. It's bound to come. Anybody encouraged by the sermon so far today? Right? It's going to happen. So he says this. He says, watch yourself. If your I love that. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Says, says, watch it. If your brother or sister, if they do, don't, he says, hey, don't pretend like it didn't happen. If they did it, you, you rebuke them. You tell them about it. You confront them. You deal with it. As Christians, we are called to reconciliation. And sometimes we think the loving thing to do is to avoid it and to ignore it. But no, reconciliation does not happen that way if we just hide from it and try to sweep it under a rug. 
Our goal is reconciliation. So we're gonna do the difficult thing. We're gonna have the hard conversation. He says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if they repent, forgive them. Forgive them, let it go, let them off the hook, release them, forgive them, Jesus says. And then he says, he adds to it something very challenging, he says, even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times they come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. What? Seven times in a day, that is a pretty big issue. You're thinking, man, maybe, maybe twice in a week, maybe three times in a month, maybe seven times in a lifetime that someone crosses me and asks for forgiveness, then I will forgive them. Seven times in a day? How is that possible to do that? And look at the response. The disciples, the people that walked with Jesus, the ones that we call the apostles, that we read some of their letters, they said, Lord, increase our faith. They're saying, hey, this is hard. This is not easy. This is super difficult. How do you forgive someone who's hurt you, not just once, but multiple times, many times over, possibly in the same manner, in the same way? How do you do that? It's not easy to forgive those that have hurt you. But on the other side of difficult, we often find what is best. On the other side of difficult, we often find what is best. Now, can I be honest with you? I'm just going to be really real this morning and like say, hey, as a pastor, I have experienced more hurt than I had ever thought going into this role. All right? And that's not, to, I'm not, that's not like about me, but I'm just saying, like, I, I, if I, if I would have known the hurt that was the possible come, I don't know if I would have said Yes. <laughs> Now, to get it, man, I love being a pastor. I love having the opportunity to open God's word and preach. I love getting to meet with people and help them through their stuff. I, get, I love getting to, to welcome people into our homes and welcome them to life together and doing this together. But man, there is some times that people come and they hurt. And again, the church, sometimes there can be a lot of hurt. There's some church hurt out there, Right? And I, I, want, I want to talk about that for a moment because, listen, what, what's really interesting is that when we started River City Church and when you start a new church and I hang out with a lot of church planners, is when you start new churches, there's something about it that kind of people that have been hurt by church in the past are go, okay, here's a new church. I'm going to go give this church one more try. I'm going to go give the church one more try. I've been hurt elsewhere. And so we welcome people in that have been hurt elsewhere, okay? So they come in. I've been hurt here. I've been hurt here. So they come in and we're, I'm going to give the church one more try, Talking that with other guys and like, yeah, welcome, come, if you've been hurt. But what we don't think in that moment, that this church could possibly hurt them. That's, no, that's other churches that hurt people. Our, our church doesn't hurt people. But guess what? We're people. Imperfect people serving a perfect God and imperfect people mess up and hurt people. And I have been hurt and I have been hurt unknowingly and I have hurt people unknowingly and even possibly hurt them knowingly, if I'm honest. All right? So there's people in church that have been disappointed and, and so... And so is there, is there a time, just want to talk about this for a moment, is there a time to leave a church? Yes. 
There's, there's, there's times that God draws you and calls you to something different. God's doing something. There's times to leave a church. But I don't believe that God calls us to leave churches in a hurt mindset, in a hurt mind, without dealing with that hurt the best that we can on our ability and our side. See, so many people get hurt in church and don't say anything about it. And they just kind of slip out the door without saying anything. And the leadership is left saying, what did we do wrong? Who hurt? What happened? What did someone do? And we don't know what was going on. And yes, does it hurt to hear some honest feedback and some honest conversation? Yes, it's not easy to have those. But I, we need that honest feedback. We need people honestly saying this. That's why Proverbs 27 has spoken to me in such a great way. Proverbs 27, 6 says this. Better are wounds of a friend than the deceitful kisses of an enemy. Your friends will tell you the truth, even if it hurts for that moment to bring about healing. Your friends will tell you that. I don't need the flattery of an enemy that just says everything's good and they're just sweeping under the rug. No, I need someone to call this out and make this clear. So yes, there's times to, to, to leave a church and there's times that change happens and all of that. But loving people that are following Christ share what's going on. So this, I want to share this in in connection to, to church hurt and also in your other relationships, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your friendships, in your family, and in, in your, in your, we're going to get into family in a minute, but in relationships, this is what happens, and especially in church. You can put that blue, that blue uh, slide up there. And so that people come into church, and when they first come into a church or come into a new community of friends, a new relationship, maybe move to a new neighborhood, there's this connection phase. You come in, and you are like getting connected with. You come here to church, we, we send you a, uh, an email, we follow up with a phone call call. We say, hey, we're so glad you're here. And you feel like, oh my gosh, I came last week. They remember my name. And you feel like on top of the world, like everybody knows about me. I feel connected. We're, we're working hard to reach out, right? And then, as, so you're in this phase right there and, and you go quickly from there to the romantic phase, right? Now, now you're like, oh my gosh, this church is so much better than my last church I went to. The pastor is so much funnier, um, right, than the, than the last church I went to. And he has such awesome insight. And then, you know, you, you're just like, you're, you're, you're drawn to all of this. And then quickly after that romance phase, you hit reality phase. And in the reality phase, you see, dang, these people aren't as holy as I thought they were. That pastor has told that same joke again, Right? <laughs> and, and, and that reality phase starts to come in, and you're looking around like, well, maybe it's not as great as I, as I thought it was. And it leads quickly to this response phase. And we go to the response phase, and many people, they go to the response phase like, OK, I must not have found the right church, so let me go back, and let me go find another church. Let's continue the cycle again. Let's go connect somewhere else, go to the romantic stage, and go to the reality stage. And, and, and there's this, this ongoing cycle of one place to the other. Others, you know, go to the give up stage. They get to this place, they're just like, you know what, I'm done. I've given church another try, it's just done with. And, and, and they have this same kind of mindset that a lot of people are having that I just read, that this is pretty interesting. This is what people are giving up on going to sporting events. And here's the reasons why people have stopped going to sporting events. Is this. Every time I went, they asked me for money. The people sitting in my row didn't seem very friendly. The coach never came to visit me. The referee made a decision I didn't agree with. Some games went overtime and I was late getting home. <laughs> Got another one here? Wait. The band played some songs I'd never heard before. The games were scheduled on my only day to sleep in and run errands. My parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. Since I read a book on sports, I feel like I know more than the coaches anyway. I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. 
what are these crazy sports people thinking about, right? Hopefully you guys get the sarcasm there. All right, uh, so, so, so some people get into this, this area of like, I'm just gonna give up, but what my heart for us is that in relationships, in community, in church, is that we don't give up. I wanna encourage you that you go back to the connecting stage and you go and reconnect with other people. You go and put yourself out there and you see the new person coming and you say, I'm going to re-engage. I'm gonna see that these aren't perfect people, but I'm willing to do this with them because I want to have reconciliation. I want to be a person that, that continues to grow with people. Because listen, what happens when, we put that blue one back up there, the people that hurt the most, when we continue to break relationships, break friendships, break community, church and community, the person hurts because they've never dealt with the issue. And they just take that issue and bring it to the next circle that they jump into. The other one that hurts is the church. The church hurts because it's depending upon you. You're there, and then all of a sudden, there's some issue or some problem, and you haven't told us what the problem is, so we're looking around going, what did we do? Where did it go wrong? And, and nobody's telling us, so we're not getting better. I can't get better if nobody tells me, right? A good friend tells you when your zipper is down, tells you when you have a cliffhanger, right? Like, they're like, hey, bro, you know? Like, that's what a good friend does. They tell you. They don't just walk away and let you humiliate yourself, all right? So the church hurts, and then kids hurt. Do you know that our, when went on the youth trip this week with, down to the conference with them, and awesome, and, and youth kids need each other, and kids back there need each other, and they want to grow, grow in, yes, is it the, the best, biggest youth ministry in the world and biggest kids? No, but man, they're, they're kids that are knowing each other, and they're, they're connected, and they're seeing, and they're growing in their faith together, and they're praying for each other, and just some awesome things are happening, so the kids need to see that this is consistent, and listen, and kids are also things, they pick up everything you say, so if you're driving home, and you're complaining, and you're, t- you're talking about church stuff, and other things that are going on, they're hearing this, and they're not mature enough to separate those emotions, and they think, oh my gosh, and they, they reflect church on their relationship with God, and who God is, and now you've tainted who God is to them. So let's not do that anymore. <laughs> so how do we get to the step of, of loving like we have never been hurt? And I think a lot of times it's we have to kind of step out of the situation and see it for what it is. And I think this is why Jesus said this another, he says a lot of hard things, but this is another one. He says it really hard in Matthew 5, 43 says this. Jesus said, you have heard it said, love your, na- love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That, that would be easy. That sounds good. That's pretty easy. Be nice to those that nice, like nice to me, love those that love me. That's pretty easy. I can do that one, right, Jesus? Yeah, that's all good. And hate those that hate me. But he says, that's what you've heard. But this is what I say. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, an enemy is a, is a really strong word, and I don't think of myself of having enemies. Uh, again, I'm going to wrap up really fast on the church thing, and like, even like Nancy and I have made a commitment when we like started this church of like, if and when people leave our church, that does not mean you're no longer our friends. That does not have to be awkward and weird. In fact, if I run into you at Target, I'm going to lean into the awkwardness. And I'm going to talk to you. Other people think like, oh, I left the church. I can't talk to them anymore. And they hide behind the clothes rack, right? No, I'm going to lean right into that and go, hey, how you doing? Right? You know, uh, so, so I, don't, I don't think of myself of having enemies, but I have been hurt. 
And when you are hurt and when I am hurt and I face hurt and disappointment from someone that I thought loved me or I feel like they're not loving me in that moment, the first thing that comes up is self-defense, right? The thing that comes up is self-defense. Like it, it looks like you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you back. And this hurt cycle starts. You hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you back. You say this about me, I'm going to say this back. And we feel like it's going to help in some ways. And, and both of us walk away angry, resentful, bitter, and possibly even ashamed of what we said in that moment. And doing that cycle of hatred, just stirring it up, does not bring about reconciliation. It does not bring it. So Jesus, in his divine, amazing way of saying it and getting, he knows the human heart so well. He says, what happens when you have an enemy? He says, pray for them. Pray for them. What happens when those that, those that are close to you hurt you and reject you? He says, pray for them. And I've been working on doing this. Again, I don't have enemies, but when people have hurt me, I go, Jesus, I got to talk to you about this person. I got to talk to you about this situation. Jesus, this person, I'm not quite sure what's going on. I feel like I'm getting this other vibe. Jesus, and, and I'm talking with Jesus about them, and I'm telling Jesus about my hurt, about my pain with family members, with old friends, with whoever it may be, and, and I'm telling him, and he's like, I know, I know. Do you see how they're hurting? Do you see the burdens they're carrying? Do you see what they're going through? And he's revealing to me, and he's giving me now compassion for the person that I was angry with. When I pray and I talk to Jesus about someone that hurt me, all of a sudden, understanding and compassion comes. Now, does it come in the first prayer? No. Sometimes it takes a lot of prayer and a lot of time to get there. But you start talking to Jesus, and he starts giving you perspective outside of yourself. And he's like, listen, they don't know who they are. They don't know my love that I have for them. They don't know that they are called a son and a daughter of the Most High. They don't know that those those things in the past no longer have to identify them. They don't know the good things that I have in store for them. And then often he'll show me, he's like, guess what? They don't even know they hurt you. They don't even know it. And I can spend all of this time feeling hurt, offended, bothered, upset. That's why Jesus in this passage and another one says, if someone sins against you. Because there's a big if. Sometimes we fill in that blank and it's not always true. If someone sins against you, go to them. Another verse says, go to them privately and talk to them about it. Because, oh, I had no idea that offended you. I had no idea that bothered you. I had no idea that that was a difficult thing. And sometimes you just got to lean into it. This has been like the year of hard conversations for me. Someone said the other day, like, Damon, you can put that on your resume. Like, you're really good at having hard conversations. Like, I don't want that. <laughs> but like, you know, you got to lean in and just like, hey, I'm feeling this. Can you, can, you, can you give me some feedback on this? So Jesus says this, like, if they do, if they do. So I start praying for them and then I start moving towards either the Holy Spirit is giving me compassion and understanding or if I haven't got it, at least I'm to a place in my heart that I want to have understanding. That I come to the conversation wanting understanding and not just my defenses. Of, it's not hot on the surface right there, boiling up. Like, no, I'm, I'm allowing it like the Holy Spirit to do some work there because with Jesus in my heart and in my life, I want to stop the hurt cycle. Amen. You hurt me and I'm not, I'm not going to respond and hurt you. Jesus comes along. He does this amazing thing when he puts his love inside of us. This ability to love is that when hurt comes, 
and cruelty and in the face of cruelty, in the face of hurt, in the face of pain, we instead turn around and we surprise it. We surprise it, we confuse it, and we teach in that moment because we respond back in love, compassion, and understanding. So those are some of those other relationships. Now, family is a whole nother level of hurt and pain that can come. There have been times and seasons that I have been hurt by my family, just like you have, and sometimes hurt the same way, over and over the same way, and then I get upset, and I'm like, well, Damien, you fell for it again. You know, has anybody been there? And the, the thing about being hurt by family is that Family, again, is those ones that are the closest, the deepest relationships sometimes, that parent, child, spouse, those relationships are. And, and, and that's also where comparison comes in a lot, is that we see our family and we look at other families and we see on Sunday morning how that family is doing and that family is doing. And, and we just look at our family and we're just like, why do we have this dysfunction? Why do we have this problem? Why don't we have what they have? And, and we get into this comparison thing and, and family can hurt you and it's really hard sometimes to reconcile with family. But Jesus says like, hey, if they, if they, forgive them. If they ask you seven times in a day, a family member is gonna be one that has to ask you seven times in a day if we're right, right? All right, so and then, he, then Paul goes on to add this in Ephesians 4, he says this, 432, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. It's not getting any easier. We're to pray for our enemies and love them, and now we're to show them kindness and compassion and forgive them just as Jesus forgave us. And let me just jump right into this. Like For those in this room that call themselves Christians, Christ followers, ones that Jesus is your Lord, that we are to forgive others. Matthew 6, 14 will stop you in your tracks. After he does the Lord's Prayer, he says this. For, this one up there. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sins, your father will not forgive you of your sins. God makes it completely clear that we are to forgive. And that can seem impossible with what hurt and pain you are going through today to feel like you could possibly forgive someone. And so in order to understand forgiveness, I wanted to spend a few moments understanding forgiveness, I want us to understand what forgiveness is not. Because we get confused there sometimes. And so first one is what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not always or necessarily just forgetting. Okay, I'm gonna have to unpack that for a moment. It's not necessarily that means that you just wipe your brain clean, you erase the memory, and it's just gone and done with. Now with Jesus, that's what happens. Thank God for the grace and the mercy of Jesus that when we repent and we ask for his forgiveness, he says our sins are as far from the east as from the west, that they're done, taken care of, that he has forgotten it. Now, with us dealing with each other, we can't always just forget. We can't just sweep it under the rug Forgiveness is not saying to that person that what you did was not completely wrong, hurtful, painful, sinful. 
It's not saying that, it's not, that it's not, you're not doomed for the rest of your life just to have to, to, to suck it up and let your life be like this uh, be abused person or continue in hurt and just smile when they talk to you and send them a Christmas card and like all of their posts on social media. No, that's not what it means. You can actually forgive someone and still create healthy boundaries. Yes, right? To forgive someone and say, yes, I will let it go, but our relationship, we need to rebuild trust. There's been, there, there's been something that's been broken here, and, and in order for me to have confidence because of the consequences of what you did, we need to rebuild trust. So forgiveness is, is hey, let's start to rebuild this relationship, but it's not always simply forgetting. And some of you might be sitting there and looking at me and go, preacher, man, what are you talking about? That doesn't sound very Christian-like to not just forget, right? Like that, that, that sounds very different. And here's why I say this. is because I have walked with my own life. I've walked with other people's lives and friends and family and people in churches of their, their mess. And what I see happen too often is they forgive and they don't work towards reconciliation. So I wanted to kind of unpack some things that God kind of revealed to me. So this is my counselor size while I'm wearing my Mr. Rogers counselor sweater this morning. And I'm showing you how gray my beard is, is that I have gotten some wisdom along the way. All right. So th this other cycle here is the avoidance cycle is what we come into, is that, that families avoid doing the hard work. And so with families that kind of like, and I'm going to start that. So we have explosion, honeymoon, unmet expectations, tensions, this cycle of avoidance when we don't deal with this stuff. So let's start at explosion because that's normally when I'm called, okay? When, I, when I'm called is when everybody is angry, yelling, mad at each other. You know, there, there has been all kind of threats laid out. The D word has been thrown out there in marriages. The mom and dad are no longer talking. They're not showing up to Christmas. Thanksgiving's not happening this year. The explosion happens. Everything is boiled over the top. People are angry. They're hurt. And a lot of times they're just tired. They're just like, I just can't do that again. And so that's when small group leaders get called. That's when friends get called in. That's when the pastor gets called in. That's when the police are called. All kind of messy stuff in the explosion stage, okay? It's in the explosion stage. And then after the explosion stage, there's something amazing that people are like the, often the most willing to work on it. After the explosion, they're tired, they're hurt. I don't want that anymore. Let's work on this. And they, they, they own the mistakes. They own the, and it quickly moves to the honeymoon stage because, oh, they're owning their mistakes. They're apologizing. They're making promises of what it's going to be going forth. There's gifts being bought. There's, there's attention. There's date nights. There's all this stuff happening in the honeymoon stage and, and everything's going well and it's no longer the explosion stage. And, and so you're there in the, ex, you're in the honeymoon stage and it's all feeling good, but it quickly moves into the unmet expectations stage because in the honeymoon stage, nobody wants to mess with it. It feels good. We don't want to go back to explosion, and we just want to keep the peace. We want to keep it happy, and we're not talking about stuff that really has to be talked about because the explosion was so recent. But quickly, unmet expectations start building, ones that are spoken and not spoken. You know, it's like, hey, remember that promise you made? Remember you said it was going to be this way? But now that's not happening. And so these unexpectations are building in your heart and in your mind. And, and, and it starts building up more and more. And then it leads to tension. In the tension stage, you're criticizing them. You're, you're looking at everything. The, the past hurts. Now, now it's not just what they've done since the, the explosion happened. Now it's everything they've ever done. 
You're holding against them in this tension mode and you're feeling more lonely, you're feeling unloved, you're feeling they don't care. And then, where does it go? Back to the explosion stage. And it's just this cycle. And, and sometimes it starts and it's just like, hey, once a year this happens. Once a year we have an explosion, then we redo it, we go to a marriage conference, we listen to a marriage podcast, we don't talk about our own expectations, we do this, and it's like once a year, then it's once every six months, then it's once every three months, then it's once a month, and then all of a sudden it just becomes your normal dysfunction. And that's, how you, that's who we are, that's how we operate, that's what we do. It's not healthy until, because it hits this cycle until one day someone's just like, I'm done. I can't get on the cycle anymore. But the good news is, the next one, there is an exit off the cycle at every stage. There's an exit off, I would say the best place to exit this crazy cycle is after the honeymoon, right? Like everything's feeling good, feeling happy. Hey, we're feeling good, we're feeling happy. Now let's talk about what we expect going forward. Let's not just go to counseling one time. Let's continue to do the work. Let's not just listen to marriage conferences or parenting conferences or how to lead a strong-willed child one time. Let's continue to do this work. And let's get off of this and let's continue to meet and have family meetings and talk about these expectations. So there's an exit at each and every one of those do you lean into what the Holy Spirit is saying? There we go. Taking off now back to being a pastor. That was my counselor's side. <sighs> so, forgiveness is not always forgetting. The second thing is that forgiveness isn't fair. It's not fair to forgive someone that hurts you deeply. It just isn't fair. Everyone say, it's not fair. I sound like I'm at home, right? That's what our kids say all the time. It's not fair. It's not fair. How many of those that went on the youth conference? It's not fair. I've done enough church this week. Do I have to go? All right. Um, <laughs> so it's not fair. And because you're, you're like, it's not fair to let them off the hook. It's not fair to let them go for what they did. It's so wrong what they did. It's not natural. It's against our flesh to say, oh, I just forgive you. It's done. You hit me. You got one coming right back. It's fair, right? You mess with my kids, I'll mess with you, right? That's, that's what fair is, is revenge is coming back. But Jesus says, okay, okay, pray for enemies. Okay, I'll pray for my enemies. I'll pray that my enemies get hemorrhoids, right? Like that's, I'm on Old Testament God. Like that's the God of the old T. Like, I, and that's actually a story in the Bible, right? The Bible's got a fascinating story. He actually smoted some people with hemorrhoids. Like, so God, where, where's that God, right? Like, where's that God? I'm like, I'll pray for him to get that. It's like, <laughs> Like, well, we want to pray that way. That's the fair, that's the fair we want. To, we want a God that's fair that way. And we love it when God is fair on our behalf, but we don't love it when God's fair with us. Right? The th fact is, is that God is not always fair. He's not always fair. But he is always just. He's not fair, but he is just. Because if he was fair, I would get what my sins deserve and you would get what your sins deserve. If he was fair, if he was fair, I wouldn't have all the blessings and gifts that he's given me in my life. Psalms 103 says this, he, God, 
does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He does not give us what we deserve. He is just, and the justice of God was taken out on Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for that. But he is not fair. He does not repay us according to our iniquities and according to what we deserve. We deserve death. We deserve hell. We deserve punishment. But he gives us grace. So what, so forgiveness is not always necessary for getting. It's not fair. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is giving others what God gave us. Forgiveness is giving others what God gave us. It's giving them and extending to them the same grace that God has offered us. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you have been forgiven of anything and everything, listen, he is calling you to do the same thing, to allow it to flow through you. That forgiveness is not meant just to come to us. We're not just meant to receive God's forgiveness, but it's actually meant to flow through us. It's to us and through us. Forgiveness and forgiving others the same way that God has forgiven us. John 1, 9, 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Come on, somebody. He is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is giving others what God has given us. Not just being a recipient of God's grace, but actually being a conduit of it to let it flow through us. It's undeserved mercy, undeserved grace, undeserved goodness that he continues to pour onto our lives. So I want to ask you, how is your flow? Do you need a plumber to come and unclog the, the, the plumbing in you of how is that flow? Is that forgiveness coming through? And is there a big clog or is that forgiveness flowing through you? Because that's what it's meant to do. And some of us need to get a plunger out and pull out some of that nasty stuff that is blocking us. Jesus says this in his Lord's Prayer. Come on, you guys, <clears throat> this Lord's Prayer says, but they asked him, how do you pray? How do you pray? He says this. When you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who? Do we want to pray that? Do we want God to forgive us in the way that we forgive others? Do we have, not not, not the church answer, do you want God's love and forgiveness to be poured out on you the same way, the same model, the same level that you forgive others? Is that, I would want more. God, I need more of your forgiveness because I'm still working through this, right? And some of you, you want to pray this. You want to pray that you are forgiven. You want to pray that, God, please forgive me for my sins. But God, do I have to forgive my boss? Do I have to forgive my coworker? God, I want your forgiveness, but do I have to forgive my spouse? Do I have to forgive my brother, my sister? Do I have to forgive them? And as I'm coming to a close, I want you guys to stand with me and help me close this, or I will preach all day long. 
why would God ask you to forgive others? Why would he ask you to forgive other people? The reason that he's asking you to forgive other people is because he loves you so much. He loves you so much that he was willing to give you his forgiveness and he does not want you to hold on to unforgiveness. He, it's, listen, it's easy to live like you've been hurt and to love like you've been hurt. It's hard and difficult to love you like you've not been hurt because we've all been hurt. We've all been through situations, through hurt, through pain. But God calls us to something else because he loves you and he wants you free and he wants you to abound in his forgiveness and let it flow through you. And so many of you, you're looking at that name that you possibly wrote on that paper or that name that came to your mind right away when we started talking about hurt, pain, people that have brought distrust, hurt, pain, whatever it is, that person came to your mind and you look at them and you go, God, how much forgiveness do they deserve? God, you know how deeply they hurt me. You know how much they hurt my life, my, my spirit. You know how much they did to my family, what damage. God, how much forgiveness do they deserve? And God is saying this morning, how much freedom do you want? How much freedom do you want? Because the extent that we extend forgiveness is the extent that we'll continue to get more freedom in those areas. Because so often, a lot of times, forgiving that other person, sometimes it makes a difference in their life, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they don't even know. Sometimes they don't even know the hurt or the pain, but it does something inside your very heart. And it takes faith to forgive. It takes a trust in God to say, I'm gonna trust you with this. I know they betrayed me, they hurt me, they broke my heart, but God, I'm not going to be the victim anymore, and I'm going to let your forgiveness flow to me so that it flows through me to others. And you will find new freedom new hope, new trust, new, new belief in who God is. And so this morning, the band's going to sing this song, Coming to the Altar. And some of us, you came in here with that person in your mind, that person that hurts you, that situation. And God just wants you to come and bring it to the altar. So the altars are open. I want us today to have a time at the altar. As they sing this song, that we come and we say, God, it is beyond my ability to do this. I cannot do this on my own. I need your strength. I need your help to lay it down. And if you need to write it on that paper and leave that paper here, if you need to come and just say, I need to forgive this person, the person might be in the room. The person might be sitting next to you. You first come do business with God, and then he will give you strength to go back and forgive that person. So Lord Jesus, we invite you into this place right now. Lord, work in our hearts and our minds, Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to get off the crazy cycle. We want to get off the hurt cycle. We want to get off, Lord, this, this mindset of hurting other people, Lord, and we want forgiveness between parents and children and children and parents and brothers and sisters and friends and cousins and aunts and uncles and husbands and wives, Lord. We want good, reconciled relationships, Lord. And Lord, as much as it is up to us, Lord, we can't control other people's actions, other people's responses, but Lord, as much as it is up to me, Lord, we want to say, forgive my trespasses as I forgive those who sin against me. 
Lord Jesus, come and have your way. Thanks for listening to the River City Church podcast. We'd love to hear how God is using River City Church to minister and impact lives. If you have a story to share of how God is moving in your life, send an email to amen at therivercitychurch.org. If you'd like to support our mission financially so we can continue to share messages just like these, you can give online at therivercitychurch.org slash give.